episode 13, Patrick and Cyprian speak with Elisabetta Valiante of One Qubit. Among other topics, the team discuss quantum problem solving from a hardware agnostic approach, the limitations of quadratic unconstrained binary optimization problems, and the differences between logical and physical qubits. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hey, Cyprian, how are you doing today? Hi, Patrick. Very well and ready for another great episode of Entangled Things. That's uh, It's going to be an exciting day. We're joined by Elisabetta Valiante. And um, Elisabetta, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. Hi, Cyprian. Hi, Patrick. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm flattered to join this conversation, to be considered an expert in the field. <laughs> I've been in the field um, in the last three years. So I started to work for OneCubit in 2018. And I live in Vancouver, where OneCubit is the uh, main headquarters. But now we had a diffuse company, first because of COVID, and then because we decided it's better this way, we... We are the fuse. We have several headquarters, and we can work from everywhere. Excellent. Um, I've, I actually have a story. I encountered one qubit a long time ago in in quantum time. I guess it's a long time ago. Uh, back at the last build that was held in San Francisco, I saw some of the people from your company talking about um, recasting problems as quantum problems and getting a benefit even when running on silicon not running on actual quantum computers. So the uh, you guys are now doing a lot of very interesting things. Um you you you've got a partnership with Microsoft. What, what can you tell tell us about where you guys are going and and, and who you're working with? Well, Qubit um, grew a lot since then. We developed uh, um, an optimization uh, platform that is uh, available through Microsoft Quantum and it's called OneCloud where we offer um quantum inspired optimization algorithm. But we also have different uh, um, branches right now, different kind of specialization. You can check all of them on our uh, webpage. Awesome. I'm not going into details because we grew so much that uh, I'm afraid to forget something or to get some details wrong. No problem. It's always good to just point people in the right direction. So I've seen the fact that you guys, along with IonQ, are platforms that you can choose when you're doing a project um, in, uh, in Q-sharp. And that's awesome. I, I thought that was very exciting. So you guys definitely have branched out since the last time I I, um, I was in a room with any of you. Um, yeah, we have a lot of application in chemistry. We we are doing some application in health science, uh, and we work directly uh, with um, hardware companies in our hardware innovation lab. So yes, we have a lot of branches and a lot of different specializations specializations in the company. Cool. So I mean, you you say you always say. Um, you haven't been in quantum very long, but but three years is a pretty long time to be actually in the field. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes. You've, you've even referenced some changes in your company. You want to talk about what you've seen, how, what the changes you've seen since you started with this? Yes, we have seen a lot of players uh, coming into the field. So um, in the last three years, we saw a lot of hardware company, uh, companies being interested in uh, developing uh, quantum and quantum-inspired services, uh, quantum hardware, um, implementing uh, um, optimization solvers into different kinds of hardware. They don't need to be um, quantum hardware. Sometimes it's just quantum-inspired. So you, you want to take advantage of all the hardware which is available right now. 
like F <coughs> FPGAs or GPUs or any kind of accelerators that can make the optimization faster. And I've also seen more players coming into uh, onto the software side. So OneQubit One was one of the first company to offer um, a software uh, service, but uh, we have seen uh, big players like uh, small players, um, so very big companies, a uh, small startup um, coming into the field. This is um, um, thank you to a lot of tutorials, a lot of materials that the big company, mm-hmm. the first players, have been made available online. Um, like the language, the tutorials, uh, or the videos on YouTube. Um, there is a lot of information out there. It's all accessible. So um, any startup or uh, even students, grad students and undergrad students, they can start working in the field, learning about quantum computer, learning about optimization, what are the new languages, what are the techniques to get the problem into the format you need. And uh, it's all accessible. I think it's very, very nice. And the, the more, the better, because we need uh, smart people to be in the field. So that's a very good point. The, the problem seems to be that the technology is moving quickly, but we need people to start to learn how to do this stuff, to, to understand what it is to program a quantum computer. And that seems to be a pretty high uh, entry level. Uh, are you guys having trouble finding people, I assume? We have a lot of um, people working on Qubit. We hired a lot in the last years, so I don't think we have a problem. But certainly um, having um, uh, somebody to connect the, um, uh, how to use a quantum computer with uh, the big companies that need problem to solve, this was the, the main motivation to, to create one Qubit years ago. Uh, we had uh, D-Wave here in Vancouver that was, bu- was building the first quantum computers. And we, we had big companies on the other side, the financial companies, the chemistry companies that wanted uh, to solve their problem right away. And right. Uh, so OneQubit was born with this uh, goal in mind to connect these um, two worlds and uh, to understand how quantum computer works, even um, to understand which is the best way to build quantum computer or what is the best way to... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, to tackle um, uh, hard problem today, even if quantum computers are not ready, even for the aspect uh, for which quantum computers are not ready. Yeah, it's it when I when I deal with a big project, especially like a hardware project, I, it's always the analogy I always use, and and Cyprian's probably going to laugh. Um, I always use military analogies. <clears throat> it's kind of like trying to get the Air Force, the Navy, and the and the and the Army to show up at the same time because you don't want any of them to show up late or early. And so it seems like the hardware is unpredictable. We don't know when the hardware is really going to be ready for, for certain levels of problems. But, but the concern that, that Cyprian and I have had, and it's probably the, the basis for a big part of the basis for why we have this podcast, is we see that we need an army of people who understand this kind of model, who can be ready to program it when the hardware is ready. Because we don't want to wait three years from when the hardware is ready to educate the programmer so that they can use it. And so I think you guys are filling a huge gap there because your 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 platform runs on on simulated quantum computers and and runs pretty well. I, from what I heard back in the day, and I'm sure the numbers might be different, is you guys were seeing like an eight percent speed up when you were running just on a simulated quantum computer because you recast the problem in terms of quantum. So we like to support all the uh, hardware companies. We test, uh, we benchmark uh, all the hardware we have the opportunity, we have access to. And 
we we are not um, we are not supporting in particular any of them. Uh, well, of course, we have a particular collaboration, so we have easier access to some hardware, right. but uh, we are not against anything. We we just uh, um, try to understand what works, what doesn't work. And uh, we, we recommend our companies what is the best solution uh, for their problems um, today. So sometimes the solution is quantum. Maybe it's not uh, any kind of quantum, but uh, one specific instrument. Sometimes uh, the best solution we recommend is just a software solution. It's just a, a simulator. Because, of course, we, uh, with the simulator, you don't have certain limitations that we, you can have with an hardware. It's uh, just amazing that you're still getting a, a, be- a speed up from that because... That means that some many problems, not just some problems, can be, be done better with the quantum implementation, even without the benefits of the quantum parallelism. This is true for if uh, if you code your algorithm in the right way, it is not always true, because mm. uh, let's say that um, with the quantum computer we we are playing with an assumption. The assumption is that there is um, a format for the problems that can be solved by all computers. This uh, format is called Cubo. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can convert any kind of problem into this format. It's very, very general. And with a quantum computer, you can solve this format. So the assumption is that uh, the quantum computer is an ideal machine that it will be very, very fast to solve any kind of Cubo, regardless of the size, regardless of the connectivity. And you can convert all your problems, regardless of the constraints, regardless um, of the type of problem, into this cubo. This assumption is very strong. And it is not 100% true. For sure, it is not true today. So one day, um, we started working in um, quantum computer, assuming that this um, assumption will be true one day. And a lot of work has been done in this direction. But today, maybe it's time to, to take a step back and think, is this really what we want to do? Because let's think about it. When you take a problem and you convert it into a cubo, you are making the problem much, much harder. Mm. Uh, and then uh, on the other side, you have um, <clears throat> quantum hardware, which is not perfect. It's not the ideal hardware I was uh, uh, describing before. It cannot deal with uh, uh, <clears throat> infinite number of variables. It cannot deal with, uh, un- with total connectivity. So the, prob- the question we need to answer is that do we really want to convert our problem to something harder, which is uh, a cubo? Or do we want to try a different way to solve the problem in the way they are, which are they are already um, pretty hard problem. I'm talking about a quadratic assignment problem or a travel salesman problem. Um, so this is what we are working right now. We are trying to um, to find a different way of formulating uh, problems, which is not the, the cubo way. Because um, just to give an analogy, and I'm not the owner of this analogy, so I thank my uh, colleague Clements for the idea. It's like uh, having a hammer. The hammer is a quantum computer. And then all your problems are screws. And screws can have different shape, different size. And and in order to solve all your problems with the same hammer, you need a very big, very strong, very heavy hammer. And uh, it might work if your hammer is big enough, so you only need one tool for uh, all your screws. But uh, um, today, still is not working. And you need a hammer much bigger, much heavier, much powerful. So uh, today, maybe we can still work with a few screwdrivers. So we can have our toolbox of screwdriver uh, to work with all our screws and waiting for the ideal and perfect hammer. 
Yeah. It, it, if you've ever used the wrong tool to solve a problem, you definitely get that analogy. That's a, that's a good one in that regard. And unfortunately, I have tried to hammer a screw in. Uh, it just doesn't work really very well. <laughs> um, Cyprian, do you want to weigh in on any uh, of this? I know that you know you've you've uh, you've never really expressed an opinion on on these spaces on the show yet. So, and I know you always have an opinion. Do you, anything you want to say? Uh, yeah, well, it's my favorite analogy is fitting the, the, the square into a round hole, right? That's, that's pretty much, uh, I would say similar. Um, what, what I, uh, liked, particularly liked about, about some of your, uh, your work, Elisabetta, uh, is, uh, and I think you've published, uh, late 2020, a paper, uh, around the the problem of um, the the complexities of of modeling problems like with 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 Kubo, and um, uh, I think that's that's one of the kind of like the big issues that the the industry is 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 facing today because we're really limited, right? Uh, or we have like uh, see, uh, usable results uh, uh, with quadratic problems. But when you get into higher uh, uh, order, right? Uh, uh, polynomial uh, uh, optimization, unconstrained optimization problems, that's where things have a tendency to break today, right? That's where we we kind of uh, find our 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 limitations, and and adiabatic quantum computing uh, uh, is uh, still more of a hope than a certainty. So I was I was really wondering and wanted to to kind of hear um, uh, your your opinion on uh, being probably exposed to 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 both worlds, right? Uh, your opinion on the adiabatic quantum computing versus the circuit-based or the the universal quantum quantum computing, we uh, and we have discussed this several times uh, uh, on 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 our show. Um, some of the differences, uh, some of the confusion that actually exists mm. in in uh, uh, in the public space, because uh, you hear like uh, uh, the likes of I don't know Google or IBM claiming that we have I don't know 60, 70 qubits, and this is a big achievement. And then you hear the likes of D-Wave saving we have 2,000 qubits, and this is a big achievement. And there's a little bit of confusion around. Like, well, now what are we celebrating here? Thousands of working qubits, tens of working qubits. Uh, what, what is your kind of view on, uh, on, on the way that the industry, uh, like uh, the combination between the services, the software and the hardware is currently evolving in this space of quantum computing? Well, I think the the wave, uh, of course, I think they started in advance respect to the others. So um, they are a bit forward respect to the other companies. But still, when they say that they have a number of uh, qubits, whatever this number uh, is, they are not all connected. So one thing are physical qubits and another thing is a logical qubit. Mm. So it's uh, the kind of problem I was um, saying before. One, uh, when you want mm -hmm. to solve real life problem, connectivity is very important. And uh, the, the way the, the qubits are connected uh, defines uh, how many logical qubits you, you can use. So let's say that um, uh, if uh, um, connectivity means that one qubit is connected with the number of the other qubits, ideally you want each qubit to be connected with all the others. 
so if this is not true in the hardware, you can define a way to make it true, like logically, when uh, when you build your problem or when you you code. Uh, but of course, uh, you have to group together uh, groups of qubits. So your number uh, might be, if you want to have a fully connected cubo um, um, mapped on the hardware, uh, it, uh, the number of total logic qubits you can embed, uh, it will be not the same of the number of physical qubits you have on the hardware. I find that's a big problem. Almost no one, when they're talking about qubits, differentiates between logical and physical. And it's a huge difference. I mean, it's some people are talking about the fact that you need, it's at least in, in gate uh, quantum computers, you would need millions of physical qubits to accomplish um, hundreds of, or even thousands of, um, of, phys- of logical qubits. And so that's a big differentiation. Is My understanding is that the big hardware companies, IBM, uh, Google, um, D-Wave, when they talk about how many qubits they've achieved, they're talking about logical. And th- there's, there's likely a lot more physical under the covers. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to say anything wrong, but um, I think they talk about physical because, because a logical qubit you can uh, define, it depends on the problem. So if you okay. have a sparse problem, so the connectivity of your problem is not very high, it's possible to it's possible to, to map the qubits one to one. So the the logic uh, qubits you can define on your hardware is the same as the um, physical qubits. If your problem is more connected, this number will be lower. The number of logical qubits will be lower. I don't think when they say the number of qubits they have, they say the logical qubit because the logical qubit will de- will depend on the problem you are trying to encode while uh, the physical qubit is the number of qubits you built. So this is an objective number you can always state. Okay. I I think we need the industry to start clarifying that far better because um, you you bring up a great point. Um, If I'm trying to solve Shor's algorithm, um, there are ways to optimize it where I can reuse a qubit multiple times in in the calculation, and I don't need every qubit to be entangled with every other qubit all at the same time. Now, if I could entangle every qubit all at the same time with each other, I could solve a much larger uh, value. I could I could factor a much larger number with uh, Shor's algorithm, or at least order find. Um, so I, I really think that's something that it's. It, I don't know that it's disingenuous. I don't know that it's dishonest. I just know that um, most people don't know the difference, <clears throat> and even people who know the industry um, can often be confused by the announcements of. I have this many qubits. Okay, is that logical or physical? Because that makes a huge difference. Well, in the case of uh, Google or uh, IBM, uh, again, I don't want to go into a field uh, where I'm not an expert and say something incorrect, but uh, you don't need uh, the, all the qubits to be connected because it's different the way um, the, the way they work. Like with these kind of computers, with gates, you are implementing an algorithm. Uh, while, uh, like you say, the short algorithm or uh, any uh, <clears throat> kind of algorithm using... <clears throat> quantum functions uh, so you don't uh, you don't need all the qubits to be connected at the same time while uh, we did uh, the wave is an annealer so right say different the, approach the, the algorithm comes from the physics that uh, is uh, happening in the annealing right so, so it, it's uh, a different approach yeah and so going back to um, uh, to what we were discussing before, uh, finding a way to embed a problem into um, into a structure which is not fully connected, it's a problem itself. 
So there are algorithms just to uh, optimize the embedding before you even solve the problem. And there is another paper that is a twin of the paper that Cyprian was referring to. I'm not an author of this other paper that calculates uh, how much takes, uh, how much is the overhead of embedding. So let's say that they were supposed to, to be twin papers. My paper um, uh, calculates what is the overhead or having uh, a polynomial with a degree higher than two and having it scaled to a quadratic um, which is the, the format that you can uh, have in quantum computers and quantum inspired hardware. And there is this other paper that calculates how much it takes to take a problem uh, with a, a general connectivity, so let's say full connectivity, and embed it into an hardware which is not fully connected. And in both cases, you have big overheads. So it's something that if you can, you should avoid. That's the conclusion, so let's say, of uh, in both papers. So at at this point, I think it's 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 a good point to uh, uh, help uh, our audience kind of uh, uh, understand like like real life context for these types of, of of problems. So I was wondering if you can can uh, uh, provide us a, a few examples of of practical applications, right? So this this tends to be a little bit theoretical, although I. Uh, believe our audience is familiar with the concept of of polynomials and and the the other things. I I think it would help the discussion if we uh, provide a, a few like like practical examples. If you could provide us maybe from from things that you've been working or or uh, uh, that one qubit is 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 working on. Like like what are some of the the real world types of problems that you are able to, for example. Uh, help solving or even solve with with these with these approaches that we are talking about. Pro provided you can actually share that. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. we don't need the specifics, right? Like a general description that, that I, I think would be really helpful for for our audience. I can share a couple of examples that I worked in, and uh, we have published papers, so it, it, they are public and they can uh, they are accessible. And uh, so we worked with Dow, which is a chemistry company. And uh, we worked um, with them on a conformational sample. So when you have a molecule, you want to know which is uh, the conformation for which you have the lowest energy. Conformation be, uh, means that uh, a molecule has a lot of torsion angles. And so you have a lot of torsion angles in a molecule. The largest the molecule, the, the more torsion angles you have. And there are a big numbers of or different um, conformations you, you can have. So we are not talking about chemistry reaction here. We are just talking about um, a molecule with these structures, and you just uh, rotate it. You can rotate uh, it, um, different parts uh, with different angles. So there are so many combinations. And we used, uh, <clears throat> um, we published a paper where we demonstrate how it's possible to use a quantum computer to calculate the minimum energy, and which is the conformation for, uh, uh, to achieve this, for the molecule to achieve this minimum energy um, using a quantum computer. In a similar way, uh, yeah, just just for our audience, the the overall field that we're talking here is generally known as molecular geometry. Um, that's that's one of the applications, right? Yes. Another application we had uh, work with uh, Biogen on uh, <clears throat> on molecular similarity. So when uh, you have uh, two molecules, uh, it's important to see how similar they are. Because, uh, um, for example, um, 
you want to know uh, if you discover a new molecule, if you build a new molecule, or, or you just you want to check a, a molecule you would like to use to, as a treatment for a, um, an illness or for something else, you want to see uh, what are the other molecules which are similar to this molecule, for example, because if you know already that another molecule is, uh, is good, uh, to cure something, maybe your molecule, if it's similar, it would be good as well. Or maybe another uh, a molecule is toxic because of, of its shape, and you want to know if uh, the, the molecule you are interested in is uh, can be toxic uh, in the same way. So what you have to do is to compare <clears throat> a single molecule with uh, a database that includes millions and millions of other molecules, and you want to do it uh, in an efficient way and uh, very very fast. And this is uh, very important in drug discovery. Uh, so we have developed a, um, a model, again, to compare two molecules using a cubo formulation. And, and in, in this way, it's possible to compare, uh, to make comparisons very fast and also in a very efficient way. Because they, um, there, is, there are already techniques to do that, and these techniques are already very fast, but uh, it's not as accurate. So they don't consider all the aspects of the molecule. So when you do a comparison, you, there are several aspects to consider the shape, uh, mm-hmm. the, the atoms uh, that are in the molecules or a, a configuration of atoms that are in the molecules. So you, using a um, graph molecular similarity, which is what we use <clears throat> in our work, it's, um, uh, it's a more complete way. It gives more information. So can I ask a question? <clears throat> so you, that's a very interesting problem that you've solved um is that something that that you're adding to your platform that then becomes a function that others can use or is that more of a proprietary we did this for a specific company at the moment is not a, a part of the platform but i don't know maybe it will be implemented in the future it's um it's always a question uh, before um, putting something out there who is going to use it and how so some, for some type of solutions that we provide, we prefer, um, instead of making them available in the platform, to be the ones that provide the solution so we can customize it for the company or for the problem. Mm. So it's okay. In the platform, there are very general solvers for very general problems. And for different type of problems, we provide more customized solutions. So we, we prefer not to put them out there because maybe they are very specific for the problem of the company that uh, we are working with. So it's not the mm. best so choice to would, put them uh, um, available to everybody. W- would it be safe to state that by using quantum or quantum-inspired approaches, you were actually able to work with, let's say, more complete descriptions of 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 the molecules, or at least consider many more features or properties of the molecules that uh, uh, can be considered using purely classical computing approaches. Um, let's say it's the graph molecular similarity, the way it is defined, that is more complete. It's not uh, really using. Uh, um, a quantum or a quantum inspired approach that makes a difference, but it is using a graph molecular similarity model. So when the the technique that it's used at the moment is called fingerprint, and they take into account only the geometry of the molecules when they do the comparison, when they do the um, uh, when they calculate the similarity score. But using uh, a graph molecular similarity with a graph with a graph molecular similarity approach, it's possible to uh, consider different features. This this sounds I, I I mean this this is like super super interesting. And what what I 
really love is is when when I actually hear um, these kind of, of of practical examples, right? Because in in many many discussions about quantum computing and some of the uh, presentations that uh, we've done, uh, we've heard a, a quite many times, quite a lot of times, the question, yeah, but this seems so very theoretical, seems like it's decades away, seems like there's nothing practical at this moment that can uh, be done using either quantum computing or quantum computing concepts or inspired concepts. And and that was the, the, the main reason I asked you the question is because I, I, I knew you will provide us with some some like superb examples of how these things and how these things are real. I mean, uh, folks, people like you, like your team, like OneCubit are doing practical things today, right? It's not that we are like in a long way to get uh, fully functional quantum computers and then we're just doing like purely theoretical things. There are specific problems that, that are being solved as of today. And I think that's that's very, very important for the kind of overall discussion on, on, on quantum computing, right? Uh, th yes, these are just two examples that I'm, <clears throat> I feel comfortable talking about because I work on them. I know the details and also because they are public. But there are so many applications in finance, in transportation, in optimization when you want to uh, build a chip or uh, build a compiler, for example. Uh, there are so many applications that we are working with. We are working with them today. Very cool. Thank you for listening to Entangled Things. This week's episode is sponsored by Pulsar Security. Introducing Sonar, Wi-Fi security as a service. With Wi-Fi being available in most corporate networks, it is imperative companies know what devices are broadcasting within range or authenticating to the corporate network. With Sonar, you'll receive alerts, monthly reports, and access to our team to uncover and help fix your Wi-Fi security weaknesses. Sonar, protect your data. Visit sonar.pulsarsecurity.com slash entangled to learn more. So um, maybe um, I, I'd like to switch kind of uh, gears a little bit uh, uh, here and uh, try uh, to to ask you a a slightly different uh, different question, and and that's around um, and we've kind of touched a little bit. You touched it on on the first part of our of our talk today. Um, how difficult do you think is uh, today uh, to learn quantum computing? Assuming you have like let's say, uh, an average background in mathematics, uh, an average background in, in, in classical computing. Like, uh, I would like to understand your view on, on where do you think the entry barrier as of today uh, is when, when it comes, to, when it comes to, to, to quantum computing? Do you think it's still something that has a very high entry barrier? Do you think it's, it's uh, a process where this barrier is getting lower? Um, uh, every year, um, well, how, how do you see this, 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 this process and, and, um, how do you think this will, 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 will evolve? Obviously we're not asking for, for predictions from, from you, like just to be clear, um, I, I'd like to see your, your view to understand your view on, uh, first and foremost, how difficult is today to enter the field of, 
of quantum computing for somebody who has, let's say, an average background in classical computing and a decent understanding of, of mathematics? I have to say, I'm very pleasantly surprised that there are so much material available online and it's all open. And I'm talking about um, tutorials provided by D-Wave, IBM, and I'm sorry if I'm forgetting somebody else, but there are so many information online, so many tutorials that teach you how the algorithm works, how to formulate your problem as a cubo, how to code in... um, in the languages uh, which are the more used for um, quantum computation. So um, I, I think that uh, everything is very accessible. And I think that everybody with a will to learn will find tons of materials, uh, um, again, videos uh, that um, on YouTube that um, will help them. And another uh, aspect that I'm very surprised and I, I'm learning every day is that, is that uh, working in this field, you need a synergy of knowledge, a very big synergy. So just in one qubit, there are physicists, there are mathematicians, there are software developers. But even among software developers and mathematicians, there are experts in quantum computer, experts in chemistry expert in uh, finance. So you really need um, a knowledge that uh, is not possible to find in one person. So you need a different backgrounds and uh, you need a different points of view and only teams are working together and putting together the knowledge can achieve um, the, the best and can, uh, can achieve the best solutions. Because there are so many things to know from how to implement the algorithm, uh, which is the best language, which is the best... Um, um, the best tools to use from the programming point of view, from the structure, you need the cloud experts, and uh, but also you need like experts uh, in the field of finance or uh, chemistry, depending on what problem you're uh, you're kind you're trying to solve. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that the, the the best is to find the, the right synergy of knowledges because uh, it, it's impossible to know everything. It and used to be. <laughs> Back in the old days, you could know everything about computing, and those days are gone. And quantum's fat moving faster than that. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, if if I'm like uh, Patrick, we've we've had this discussion. I think we had it in a very extensive format with Richard Campbell on one of our previous episodes, right? Yeah. If we were like looking at the history, uh, doing a comparative analysis of the history of of classical computing, but the history of, of, of quantum computing, it seems that from a, a lot of points of view, they are fairly similar, except that the speed at which the, the history of quantum computing happens, unfolds, right, is significantly higher than 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 what we saw with, 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 with classical computing. It, it almost uh, uh, looks and feels like events are kind of compressed, right? Things it's, are happening at, at, at a much, much faster pace than, I, than they were happening at the, in, in the early stages of, of classical computing. I, I think you're right. And I think that something that Elizabeth said informs that quite clearly, which is um, you, you mentioned that you guys are agnostic for platforms because we learned that being vendor locked in wasn't a bit good thing. So so we we've we've taken some of the, the the hard lessons from the later days of of classical computing, and we've we're already inculcating them into um, the the world that we're seeing. And Microsoft, for one, is playing a role there by having a platform where um, you, it doesn't matter what the back end is; 
that just that just speaks to capabilities. Like they when you when you set up a project on Q Sharp, you have to pick what level of um, of back end you're going to support and what kind of uh, system are you going to allow. <clears throat> and they can plug in fifty different quantum computers to the back end, and you still should be able to write your same code and run your same code. And, and that's definitely something I got from um, from what we've talked about so far today. Yeah. And this is the reason. This is the reason why Q, why Cubo uh, are so popular. Have been so popular. It's been the first choice, and they are still very popular. Um, because they're fungible. Because, they're movable, aren't they? Yes, you can formulate any problem as a Cubo, and then once you have a Cubo, you can send it to any solver. You don't need to know what solver. It can be hardware. It can be D-Wave. It can be um, another machine uh, using. Uh, <clears throat> Um, a, a different kind of quantum effect. It can be uh, an FPGA. It can be just a CPU with an algorithm in it that uh, expected to receive a cubo. You, you don't even need to know. You just uh, formulate your problem as a cubo and get your answer. So, Elisabetta, if I'm a if I'm a college student or graduate student and I want to get started in this, it is the the platform that that one qubit provides through Microsoft's Q Sharp. Um, is that the easiest way to start getting hands on with cubos? I don't think our um, platform is the best thing I can recommend because I don't think we provide too many tutorials, uh, too many information. I, I personally find very useful the tutorial provided by D-Wave. So okay. I'm, uh, I'm... That makes sense. <laughs> I'm going to recommend the competition here. <laughs> oh, it's but, not a problem. We're, but we're affiliated made, with everybody. <laughs> they made a great job in education and in putting together all kind of information available for everybody. And I think they also offer a free account, a free access to the machine for students. Now, I don't remember the details, but I think if you are affiliated with the university, if you share your code on GitHub, I think you can have a reasonable amount of free time on the machine. And they have uh, tons of information and examples uh, and uh, tutorials on their on their web page. Yeah, I, I did a quick search and I found quite a lot about it. So if you just search for D-Wave and Cubo, it looks like you can find the resources very quickly. And I think something similar is done by IBM. So to be fair with everybody, uh, I'm more familiar with uh, D-Wave tutorials, but I think IBM did a pretty job as well. So again, I, I apologize if I'm forgetting about somebody else. But it's uh, it's not a problem. We'll get to them in another show. <laughs> so, so, yeah, go ahead, Patrick. I was going to say, we're um, Cyprian and I aren't really affiliated with any of these companies. I used to be um, a Microsoft MVP and regional director. Cyprian's still, you know, involved in some of the Microsoft programs, but we definitely want to talk about all of the contributors because these are very early days. There's there's a lot of cross pollination. There's going to be we're still trying to discover it, and I think we learned from the classical computing days that when one vendor, one platform rules them all, everyone suffers because there's not as much competition and innovation. And so I think a healthy um, environment with IBM's and Google and D-Wave and Microsoft's competing and jostling and and, and claiming terrain is great as long as any not any one of them dominates. Yes, I agree. Having more players uh, and they are all different, uh, it, it just increases the knowledge. As I say, the the, the field is uh, is very dense. You re, uh, you need a lot of knowledge in very uh, in big number of aspects. So having more people, more companies uh, working together or even competing uh, against each other uh, is great. 
What you need is a podcast that explains it all. If only we had one of those. <laughs> you, you think? <laughs> so I, I, I think this is a good point to, to ask you like uh, this question. Um, like if you were to, to, to do like a, I know it's difficult, right? But if you were to do like a prioritization, what would you say are the top three challenges that, uh, in general, let's speak, quantum computing faces today, right? Because we know, yeah, there's a lot of promise, there are a lot of practical results, but there is still a lot of, let's say, gray areas, a lot of challenges, a lot of problems who are in the pro process of being solved or are not yet solved at all. So what do you think are the three kind of most most important or most difficult, whatever you like, um, challenges that, that quantum computing faces today? Well, about the gate computers, the main problem is how to deal with the noise. So um, again, having uh, uh, reliable results is difficult because you have to find a way to, to control the noise. And there is still a very limited number of qubits. So when you want to use gate computers to calculate, for example, the energy of a molecule, you can you can do it already, but only with very very small molecules. So very simple ones. Very yeah. simple yeah. ones. Yeah. Yes, and uh, so the, for which we already have uh, like mathematical models to do, to do it. So we we can compare the results of quantum computer with what we can already measure. So. We are not still not doing anything new uh, from uh, from the point of view of solving the problem. Of course, understanding how to use the quantum computers and improving them and learning how to um, control the noise to get more accurate results and on the other side, making them bigger and uh, we, in order to be able to calculate more qubit. Uh, this is uh, this will come and will happen, but at the moment, at the molecule you can actually calculate; they are very small. Um, uh, another problem, uh, talk, thinking about uh, quantum annealing, uh, is the connectivity. So again, uh, mm -hmm. the wave mm -hmm. has yeah. re re released uh, recently uh, advantage, I think, um, which has uh, much more qubit, but uh, is more co connected than the previous uh, um, the previous version. But uh, um, it's um, it, it's still a limitation. So it was. A I, I think those are the, the main points, noise control and size of qubits on one side and connectivity on the other side. Talking about the, that's that's the very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we're coming up on uh, our time, but we still have a few more minutes. Elizabeth, um, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we haven't touched on? We, we really ranged quite well, and I found it very interesting. Is there anything you'd like to discuss before we close out? Well, I just want to encourage everybody to get into the field, girls in particular. I'm, uh, I've been recently to an event here in, uh, here in Vancouver at the Science World to um, encourage uh, girls to study uh, science and technology and mathematics and physics. Uh, so um, I don't like uh, to, to encourage girls only because I think everybody should be encouraged to study math and physics and, and to get into quantum computers. But I know that the girls uh, usually are more intimidated. So I want to encourage everybody to follow their passion and uh, get into this field. There is a lot to, uh, to do. There is a lot to learn. And uh, we, need, uh, we need the best people working on it. So Agreed. We, for this revolution, we need all hands on deck. And that includes yes. both boys, girls, men, women, children. Uh, if we could teach dogs to program, I'd get mine on. 
<laughs> so thank you very much. We really do appreciate your time. We definitely will have you back on the show. Um, and uh, we hope you had a good conversation with us. We definitely had a good conversation with you. Thank you very much. It was very fun and very instructive for me as well. And uh, thank you for inviting me. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye.